Hey team friends, my name is Neil and welcome to the 60th edition of the Get Your Comic On podcast. We're here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio direct to your speakers. I'm joined as always by my very own boy wonder Martin. Say hello Martin. Hello Martin. New news this week following on from Whiteboard Gate. Uh, I'm actually in my normal position where I should be able to see the whiteboard if the door was shut, but it's not. So I've just had to make a list otherwise because the cats keep running in and out. So I think the whiteboard may have become redundant. Redundant board. Are you happy about that though? Well, I can't see it anymore, so it doesn't bother me. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. We have got... Can you Actually, sorry, before I jump into the menu of this episode, this is our 60th episode. Very good. You weren't listening to me. What were you reading? Nothing. You playing a game? No. If I walk around and look at your iPad, what am I going to see? You're going to see a lot of disappointment, because it's not a game. Oh, okay then. Well, I live in hope that it's something exciting. You'll find out tomorrow at one o'clock. Okay. So... This week we're skipping the news and going straight into reviews because although it's only been a couple of weeks since we last podcasted, there is uh, nothing short of a um, shit ton of stuff to review. So we are going to be talking about, in no particular order, Paramount Pictures' G.I. Joe Origins movie Snake Eyes. We're going to be talking about Warner Brothers Reminiscence. We've got the first six episodes of Titans. The first five episodes of Star Trek Lower Decks. We've also been to see Free Guy. And we have the upcoming Shudder vampire horror movie, Jacob's Wife. Which is also going to be teamed with an interview with the film's star and producer, the absolute legend that is Barbara Crampton. So, skipping the news, diving straight in, let's talk about 20th Century Studios' Free Guy. Written by Matt Lieberman and Zach Penn, the film is directed by Sean Levy and stars Ryan Reynolds, Jodie Comer, Taika Waititi, Lil Rel Howery, Joe Keery, Utkash Ambedkar, and... Ooh, I nearly mentioned some other names there, but I think I'll keep them quiet because they're potentially spoilers. The synopsis is, a bank teller discovers that he's actually an NPC inside a brutal open-world video game. Okay, so Free Guy... Well, were you ex- we haven't really talked about this film very much before we went to see it, so how aware were you of this? Were you excited for this? What were you thinking? I was unaware. And you weren't able to make it to a press screening, so I went with Matt, so we had to wait until I could get you in to see it later on before we could podcast about it. Uh, but what did you think? I thought it was alright. It's quite an enjoyable film, surprisingly so, I think. I was hoping to be entertained, maybe mildly, and I actually really thoroughly enjoyed myself with it. It was very watchable. Yep. Funny? It was funny. It was Ryan Reynolds, so it's the usual Ryan Reynolds level of comedy. Yeah. It it feels like Ryan Reynolds doing Ryan Reynolds, doesn't it? If you have an expectation of what you think Ryan Reynolds is going to do, then this will probably meet it. It's it's got all of the humour that you would expect from him, but it's got quite a bit of heart to it as well. There is a surprising love story in there. Did you feel that was shoehorned in or did you think that worked quite well no i mean it was just a typical love story of that type of film it wasn't i wasn't surprised by it the 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 moment where the couple itself gets together is maybe a little bit cheesy but i, I think it it 
touched my wee old soul. Your wee old soul? Yeah. Well, it was alright, yeah. Uh, what were anything that stood out to you that you really enjoyed about it? Nothing stood out per se. Mm-hmm. It was just a good all rounder. Okay. There are lots of surprises in this film as well. So I'll, we won't spoil those here. So there there are moments in this film which will surprise you, which are connected to the fact that it is a 20th Century Studios production, which is obviously owned by Disney Studios. So there's some quite cool stuff in there. I walked out of this the first time I watched it thinking that it felt like the setup and the way it was done, the mix of uh, visual effects for the computer game world and real actors felt to me like how Ready Player One should have done. And I said that to you, but we didn't really talk about it very much. Have you got any thoughts on that? No, I mean, it's, it felt like, like you said, like it should have been how Ready Player One should have been. And I, That's not to say that I didn't enjoy the Ready Player One movie, but they made a very specific choice that everything inside um, The Matrix... The Oasis. Thank you. Uh, would be CGI. Would You know, it's all purely VFX, and it was all green screen work and and mocap and stuff and that was a very bold choice but I just feel like something works slightly better with this made it feel more real I think so yeah but even then so there were uh, specific scenes obviously where there's a fair amount of action in this although it's not a kind of balls to the wall action movie but there you know there's a there's a car chase when the city is collapsing around them and it is only a video game that's collapsing and when it does, it's visualised in a way that it's graphics falling apart. But something about that felt more impactful than seeing things fall apart in the Oasis in Ready... I don't know. There's just something about the way they did it here that worked for me much better. I just wondered if you agreed or not. I agree. Okie dokie. Anything that you were not so keen on in this or anything that stood out to you as particularly awkward... I don't think so. The only thing for me was, and I talked about it, I've talked about it with a few people at length, was just a couple of Taika Waititi's jokes. Oh, I mean, yeah. I always forget who he is. You do often forget who people are in general, but yes, I did have to remind you of Taika Waititi. Also, he was Ratcatcher in The Suicide Squad, in the flashbacks to Ratcatcher 2 as a child. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What did he direct? He's a director as well, isn't he? Thor, Love and Thunder, oh, yeah. and Ragnarok. Yeah. That makes sense. But there is a very specific joke in this film, which I guess, for me with personal experience, is maybe a little bit more... I'm not going to use the word triggered. Um, it hits a particular thing that is relatively sensitive. But I had obviously talked to you about that joke beforehand, so I guess maybe you already went into it with an opinion of this isn't going to be very funny and it's maybe a bit distasteful. But what did you think at that moment? Well, I'd completely forgot all about it until the okay, moment Okay, so happened, how did you so feel about it in the moment then? It's just a bit unnecessary. But then... I'm probably not the best person to ask either. So. <laughs> I have a feeling a lot of Taika Waititi's uh, dialogue in this film is probably uh, ad-libbed. I wonder whether they just let him completely go. Like, this. There was probably a rough idea in the script of what they wanted him to say, and then, given that he is a very funny guy, they I would imagine that they just allowed him to riff on it a bit and come up with a few ideas. But I don't know. The there's uh, the joke that I'm talking about is a is a moment where things are kind of falling apart for his character, who is the the CEO of um, the company who has built Free City, the game that uh, Ryan Reynolds' character is part of. 
and as things are kind of falling apart, he makes a joke where he says that things falling apart is basically like giving him ass and ball cancer. And then he kind of drives the joke home by saying, inoperable! Uh, and as somebody who lost a parent to cancer and has another parent who has cancer, uh, it just, I don't know, it just wasn't funny and also wasn't like a let's make fun of a bad situation. It was more like just playing it for a laugh and it just didn't work for me. Yeah, I mean, it's not really something to joke about. So. No. But I can also understand from a certain perspective that when you have it or have had it, you maybe try and look at it in a in a lighter way. And I don't feel like he did that either. I think it was just a tasteless joke. But having said that, it doesn't ruin the film. It's just a slightly poor choice in terms of some of the humour that's in there. Otherwise, absolutely fantastic movie. My uh, review is up on the website now, so you can go check that out, www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. My verdict on this film was... Free Guy proves itself to be much more than the sum of its parts. Hilariously funny and heartwarming, it's the kind of popcorn action-adventure which will genuinely surprise its audience. Anything that you would like to add to that, Boy Wonder? No, nothing from me. Okay, then. Free Guy is in UK cinemas now, so you can go and catch this movie uh, straight away. So let's segue out of the cinema and back home for a moment and talk about a TV series. We have seen episodes 1 to 5 of Paramount Plus and Amazon Prime Video's Star Trek Lower Decks. Returning for season 2 are Tawny Newsom as Ensign Beckett Mariner, Jack Quaid as Ensign Brad Boimler, Noel Wells as Devana Tendi, Eugene Cordero as Rutherford, Dawn Lewis as Captain Carol Freeman, Jerry O'Connell as Jack Ransom, Gillian Vigman as Dr. Tanner, Fred Tatascure as Lieutenant Shax. The premise is much the same. We follow a group of Lower Decksmen as they try to navigate the world of Starfleet on the USS Cerritos. Although picking up from the end of Season 1, Brad Boimler is currently serving aboard the USS Titan under Captain William Riker. How excited were you to have Star Trek Lower Decks back in your life? I'm quite excited. I was very excited. Uh, I... (laughs) I chased down my contact at Amazon to be like, are you getting Lower Decks? Will you have Lower Decks screeners? Are we going to be able to see Lower Decks? Can I see Lower Decks? Can you see Lower Decks, please? Can I have Lower Decks now, please? And I so we've been able to see episodes one to five. I believe it's a 10 episode season, so we've seen half of it so far. You can catch new episodes airing, I believe it's Thursdays in the US on Paramount+. Plus. The episodes then come to Amazon Prime Video internationally, including here in the UK on Fridays. So episode one uh, is out now, which is called uh, Strange Energies. So I don't want us to talk about sort of each episode individually or we'll be here all night. But what did you think about these five in comparison to to what we saw in season one? I think in a way it was funnier. I, I would agree with you. I do think it's much funnier. And that's not to say that season one was bad. If you go back and listen to our podcasts about season one, I think we both loved the show i think it took us a little while to settle into the whole idea of this adult comedy in star trek because we're not rick and morty fans which is kind of where this molds from but these are really really solid episodes right from the beginning of strange energies with the uh energy oh yes the kardashians yeah no the kardashians kardashians what did i say kardashians Kardashians. (laughs) that that's a different type of kardashian well that's the kind of joke that i wouldn't be surprised if this show made but uh, you commented on it the first time we watched it you said this is a really strong opening i did did i say that you did you actually used the word strong opening well that sounds very intelligent for me to say (laughs) well it picks up on so many 
different points with it. I mean, it's got action, which the show has had, but hasn't had in abundance. It brings in the Cardassians, who we've not seen before in animation. So that was that was great to see them. And the, the design of the base that they're in is, it looks like Deep Space Nine if you look at it. So it's ripped from that um, production design from, from the show, which was obviously a, a well, Bajoran space station, but run by Cardassians. So it's familiar to what you expect from them. The, the Cardassians themselves look great and given that it's an interrogation and it's Cardassians, we get a joke about lights. We do. Which you even repeated to me today. I did. It's been like a week and a half since we saw that episode, so... Yeah, I mean, it must be good then. <laughs> repeating jokes from over a week ago. But overall, I just think it's taken everything uh from season one and has kind of refined it a little bit it's not massively different it's the same you know the setup is the same it's hilarious and it pulls from all across star trek but there's a there's a really interesting interview or quote from mike mcmahon who's the executive producer of lower decks who said he felt in season one like they needed to prove themselves that they were worthy of being part of star trek and he thinks that across those 10 episodes they've proved it so now they can kind of relax and enjoy themselves a little bit more second time round. And it feels like they've settled into it now. They've got the groove. Yeah, definitely. Let's try not to spoil too much about what's coming up in the next few episodes, but I know there's a particular plot point that you're going to want to talk about from episode three. Uh, what was... Okay, well, let's just say, what was your favourite episode of the five? Oh, episode three, I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so would you like to dive into that and unpack it a little bit? So the, just to say from here on in, there will be a few minor spoilers for what's coming up in the next few episodes. I don't want to give too much away. I mean, it's probably quite easy to guess why I would be excited if you've listened to any of these before. Yes, and I think it's, it, what's safe to say in terms of kind of spoilers, particularly for that episode, is that that character is in the trailer. So you can talk about that character being in it. That's not a huge spoiler to people. Okay, well then we've got, we got some good Voyager love. Yeah, Voyager so love. Robert Duncan McNeil uh, returns to voice Lieutenant Tom Paris. Are you sure he was an ensign when uh, Voyager returned to Earth? I think so. I can't quite remember. I remember I'm getting demoted, but I don't think they re-promoted him again. So he's, they've given him a promotion in between. Yeah. So when I watched this the first time, I kind of had to reconcile the Star Trek timeline in my head because I felt really bad and thought, oh my God, he's still only a lieutenant. But this is set after, obviously, uh, what was the last? Nemesis. So that would be the last Star Trek film. It's set after that because Riker's now left the Enterprise we haven't really mentioned where Picard is. Presumably he's being an admiral somewhere or maybe he's still uh, captaining the Enterprise. But So that will mean... So Janeway will be an admiral because she is an admiral in, in Nemesis. But they've still only been back for a number of years. It's not been decades since they've come back. So clearly he's just not climbed the ranks yet. And they've still got the same grey uniform. So Yeah, that's true. Okay, so, uh, so what did you like about having him back? It's just anything to do with Voyager, really. Having more Voyager, a commemorative Voyager plate, very exciting. Yeah, uh, there's a particular joke that I enjoyed in this episode where Boimler, who is the Voyager superfan who has the collector's plate of Tom Paris, he uh, he calls it Voy, and they question why he calls it that, and he says, oh, it's just shortening it, you know, it just sounds cool. But that is, if you... So all of the Trek shows have a shortened version of the title. So the original series is TOS... Next Generation's TNG, Deep Space Nine's DS9, Voyager is Voy, Enterprise is Ent, and Discovery would be Disco. Slightly bucks the trend because it's a bit longer. But that was a nice little fan reference to how people refer to the to the series in colloquial conversation. 
I think I would have called Enterprise another four-letter word to shorten it down. Really? Hmm. Actually, now's a good time to point out that I, I, I am watching Enterprise properly for the first time ever in my life because I did not watch it. I've seen a handful of episodes, but I'm watching it and I am tweeting my watch journey. So you can go and find that on my personal Twitter account, which is at NeilVag if you want to join in my journey. So far, I've only watched the two-part pilot. But there was an Enterprise link when... I was going to call him Pariker, but that's a combination of Riker and Picard. When Riker comes onto the bridge, he's like, ah, oh, I've just been in the holodeck. Yes, <laughs> there is. Uh, and that is something that Star Trek Lower Decks does incredibly well. So any other highlights from you across these five episodes? No, just uh, it links into the wider universe uh, seamlessly, and it does it in an enjoyable way. I asked you that because I'm trying to think of what my favourite episode is of these five, and I'm not sure because they're all so excellent. There's some great stuff in episode five uh which has a little nod to a character from the next generation in a funny and amusing way oh yeah they don't really refer to deep space nine all that much apart from we do learn and this is a a minor spoiler but we do learn that mariner served on deep space nine that's one of the many places that she um that she's worked in starfleet something which i picked up on a lot in my reviews of season one was how the show always paired up the the lower decks the, the kind of the four leads the same way. So it's always Mariner and Boimler together and Rutherford and Tendy together. And they not only split that and there's an episode where Tendy and Mariner go on a uh, an away mission together and also there are some scenes where they pair up Rutherford and Boimler but they even point it out and make a joke of it by saying, I feel like it's always the other way. It's maybe time we shake things up a bit. So I kind of feel like they listened and they made a joke out of it, which is... Which is cool. This It's not only a show which is able to poke fun at the franchise that it's based in, but it's also able to poke fun at people's kind of reactions to it. Which is great. It just, I mean, the shields are up. They don't care what people think. They're having fun. And that really shines through across these five episodes. Mm, deflectors to maximum. <laughs> and it was well, so I need to ask you, was there anything that you didn't particularly like across these five? That there's only going to be ten in the series? <laughs> that we're already halfway through. Mm. I, a bit of insight into what it's like to be a reviewer for people out there listening who who aren't. It is amazing, and it's a huge privilege when you get to watch these things before they're released. But we got to see these five episodes over a week before the first episode premiered. So that then leaves us with six weeks of no new episodes until we, we catch up to a point where we, we have new ones again. So there is a there is a curse to these things when you're watching and reviewing stuff that you love because... I binged five episodes in a day and then suddenly I have six weeks with no new Star Trek. I am reviewing each of these episodes individually. So you can read my review of episode one. My reviews of two, three, four and five uh, release each Friday on the day the episode premieres on Amazon Prime. And they release at 9.30 each of those Friday mornings on the website. So you can check those out. If you've not watched this show yet, and I know there are some people out there that still feel like they need convincing, absolutely check it out because it is so worth it. So, so worth it. So we are actually on annual leave from our day jobs for the next two weeks, which is which is quite nice. Some time to chillax and um, live the reviewer life a little bit because I dragged Martin to not one but two press screenings yesterday. The first of which was for Paramount Pictures, Snake Eyes, semicolon G.I. Joe Origins. The film is in UK cinemas from August the 18th. It is directed by Robert Schwenk 
and stars Henry Golding, Andrew Koji, Haruka Abe, Takahiro Hira, Aiko Urez, Peter Mensa, Ursula Cabrero, Samara Weaving, and I think that's the main cast. That's the main cast. <laughs> Trying to do the IMDb thing of surfing through a list that's in no particular order. So what you didn't just hear was me attempt to make a synopsis up off the top of my head, realise I couldn't do it, go to IMDb, where the synopsis is, a G.I. Joe spin-off centred around the character of Snake Eyes. Thank you, IMDb, ever so wordful with your synopsis there. Okay, so Snake Eyes. This is releasing in the UK roughly a month after its release in the US, so there are plenty of reviews out there, plenty of reaction, and also obviously news about how well or not the film performed in the USA. And it's fair to say that the film hasn't had the best ride with critics. It currently sits at only 38% on Rotten Tomatoes with a critics consensus that says far from silent and not particularly deadly, Snake Eyes serves as a step up for the G.I. Joe franchise, thanks in no small part to Henry Golding's work in the title role. The audience uh, consensus is the story isn't great and the characters don't make much of an impression, but a great cast and lots of entertaining action makes Snake Eyes a fun solo adventure for the fan favourite hero. So what did you think of this? It was okay. I feel like, given that it's only got 38% fresh, I feel like it's had a little bit of a raw deal. I don't feel like it is a bad film at all. And uh, I put out my reaction tweet after watching it, which said... Snake Eyes easily jumps ahead of the pack as the best G.I. Joe movie. Some stunning visuals and set design, plus great VFX casting and a booming score. Still some work to do on storytelling, but this is a franchise which is headed in the right direction. And funnily enough, I then heard from a friend who said to me that he thinks I'm the only person that's had anything nice to say about it. Which I think is really unfortunate, because I enjoyed this film. Yes... There is, you will have heard uh, a lot of talk about Shaky Cam and people saying that Shaky Cam kind of takes away from some of the action, and that is the case. It is a little over-stylized at time. But Henry Golding is a great lead. Most of the cast are excellent. There is uh, a notable issue in the cast, which we will touch on for hilarious reasons. But actually, this is a solidly made, solidly acted action thriller. It just needed a little bit more oomph to take it across the line and make it really, really compelling. What would you say was missing for you, Boy Wonder? Um, I don't know. It was just, it just felt a bit long in places. So it clocked in at uh, just over two hours. Bear in mind, we had gone straight into Snake Eyes after seeing Reminiscence, which is one hour 56. Yeah, it felt much longer. I got a bit sort of bored in the middle okay what i was just going to say there was do you did you I was going to say do you think it was a little bit hollow was it just lacking a bit of substance yeah what do you think of the cast i mean i thought the cast was all right it was just a very typical action cheesy film that was lacking some action and i did point out to you that it's the same producer as transformers which you have a bit of a love hate relationship with well more of a hate hate relationship with yeah there's no love there <laughs> Um, but even then, there's, there's enough to get the story. Well, not really a story in Transformers, is there? I suppose there's more action in that because yeah. there's something that always happened. Whereas this, there was just long gaps of not a lot. They were create. I mean, to be, for a start, they're creating a 
backstory for a toy although there are you know years and years worth of uh, G.I. Joe comics which do flesh out some of the characters there are some people who take issue with the fact that and it says it here in the in the audience reaction on Rotten Tomatoes where it says um, oh no sorry the critics consensus it says far from silent and not particularly deadly uh, yes he doesn't kill a huge amount of people but also the silent part is what's bothered a lot of people because if you go back to those original G.I. Joe movies and you read the comics and kind of the stories around the toys he's supposed to be a silent killer which obviously he's he's quite wordy in this but then this is an origin story so but even then i just don't buy his origin i mean he goes from what a rough and ready street brawler to some sort of ninja warrior with no training <laughs> i thought they were I, I presumed it was just a given that the training happened off screen well it was, it was a, we had to do three tests yeah of, can i have your glass of water sure here you go well done ninja test one done Ninja Test 2, run through the woods, nothing happened. Oh yeah, there was a glowy ball of light, and then there was a tree full of glowy balls of light. And then that was it, nothing. He had a, what, memory flashback or whatever. Yes, that was it, he then had a flashback, and it took him back to show, it was, that was it, it was supposed to bring forth his greatest fear, and his greatest fear was reliving the fact that his dad had been killed when he was younger. Yeah, I mean, it's rubbish, I mean, I, I, (laughs) strong emotions. But, I mean, I grew up on martial arts films. Yes, you did. That's very true. And I just thought, like, oh, is that it? I mean, you could have gone so much more into the sort of the ethos of all this and really delved into the culture, but you've, you gave me a glowy tree and a glass of water. Mm, okay, And it left enough. me quite parched. <laughs> what do you think about the action scenes? They were good. They were all right. There was some good fighty bits, but even then... There was a lot of swordplay, which I really enjoyed. Yes, the, there was a lot of swordplay, yes. Why are you laughing? <laughs> so what are you going to go with that? I'm like, eh. that's a different film. All right, right. Uh, so I, I said there, there was a, a glaring omission in the cast that we would have to talk about. Um, I do I do, I do, do feel for um, Ursula, who played Baroness. Oh, God. I mean, she might as well have been a toy. She just sort of postulated... It was like proper, like really bad. I feel bad because I don't normally. She, anyone that knows me knows that I, I I will always take the opinion of no one goes into a film to make a bad film, and I, I don't feel that this was a bad film. However, this was some particularly interesting acting. I just want to know what else she's been in. It was like Street Fighter, but that works because everybody was doing that. You can't just have one person doing that when everybody else is trying to be kind of semi-serious, if that makes sense. She's acted in quite a lot. And I'm not saying she's a bad actress. I just I, I felt like I could hear the director in the script saying to her, you know, look moody, look angry. Ham it up. Yeah. We're selling toys. It was kind of Batman 66 levels of camp. Yeah. Which was a really an interesting choice. Uh but I did, and I praised this in my um, my reaction tweet, but the visual effects are obviously excellent. It is a blockbuster-level movie in that respect. There was some really great set design. I really enjoyed the fight sequence that took place in the quite narrow street that was surrounded by neon signs. I thought that looked great. Mm, that looked really good. And the costume design was also great as well. The Snake Eyes costume looked great, as did uh, the Storm Shadow. Co- everyone's costumes looked great. There was there was a lot to enjoy about the the overall production. I think it was just the story that that let it down a little bit. It wasn't strong enough to pull all the elements together to make it something more exciting. 
couple of questionable choices in terms of the female characters. So then, so firstly, the villain and making her a little bit sort of, I'm here, I'm I'm very pretty, I'm just going to look angry and look good at the same time. And then making the lead female character, whose name escapes me off the top of my head, but I'm going to go to IMDb quickly, and it will tell me that her name was Akiko. Making Akiko, who was the head of security for the the clan, all of a sudden go from completely mistrusting Snake Eyes to, I think, being in love with him. Well, I don't know, because then one minute she's like an amazing fighter, then the next minute he just punches her in the face. He did punch her in the face, yes. Um, but it just it felt like some of the some of the female roles were a little bit not very uh, feminist. No, I would agree. Unless the old lady, I like the old lady. You loved the old lady who was the head of the clan. She yeah. got to be quite badass, actually. She did. I'm impressed that she could hardly walk, but she could flip through the air like Yoda. She was like Yoda, wasn't she? Yeah. Yoda-esque. Very, very, yeah. Badass fighter. I'm going to stop it there, because I feel like we're going to end up going down a weird sort of path of sounding like we really don't like this film, and actually I, I'm still going to recommend that you go and watch it. I think it's... Like an old lady Yoda path, yeah. <laughs> My my final thoughts on it, and I and you still need to write my review, but my final thoughts on it are that it is it's an enjoyable popcorn movie. If you like the other GI Joe movies, then this is a huge creative step up from those. Do you agree? Yes. And um, if you enjoy the Transformers movies, if you enjoy these Hasbro adaptions, which are still trying to find their footing when it comes to story, but have everything down in terms of the casting the production and the the visual effects, then there there is still much to enjoy and, and worth a watch. Any final thoughts on Snake Eyes? No, I think I've said it all. <laughs> okay, then we will move on to a brand new release which is coming to Shudder on August the 19th, which is called Jacob's Wife. Directed by Travis Stevens, based on a script from Mark Steensland and Kathy Charles, Jacob's Wife stars Barbara Crampton, Larry Fessenden, Bonnie Ahrens, Naisha Bell... Sarah Lind, Mark Kelly, and that is... Oh, and CM Punk. CM Punk is in it. No? I don't know names. I'm not very good with the names. Okay. I'm surprised you don't know CM Punk. I might do. Give me a character name. Uh, no, CM Punk. It's, so his real name's Philip Jack Brooks. Uh, he's an uh, American actor, mixed martial arts commentator, and former mixed martial artist who... N- was a professional wrestler known as CM Punk. Oh. He was in WWE. He had a reign of 434 days as the WWE champ- champion. It's the sixth longest reign in history. I'm reading this from Wikipedia. I knew he was a wrestler. I couldn't have told you that off the top of my head. Yeah, he's he's a very famous wrestler who's translated into acting. So uh, the synopsis is, Anne, married to small-town minister, feels her life has been shrinking over the past 30 years, encountering the master brings her a new sense of power and an appetite to live bolder. However, the change comes with a heavy body count. So you have kind of seen this film. It is a horror, but you uh, got to see it on the extra screen while I had it on in the background the other day. Do you have any thoughts on this interesting twist on horror? Uh, I've not, I couldn't even begin to comment. No? I've just seen really weird excerpts. Oh, okay. What excerpts have you seen? I don't know. Everything I've seen on that screen is just weird. I try <laughs> not to look at it for too long. Whenever you're watching a shudder, I'm like, oh, I'm just not even going to attempt to. I feel like we should thing. rename the extra monitor to the shudder monitor. Yeah. 
the moment of horrors. Okay, so uh, uh, Jacob's wife is a uh, it's a new take on on a vampire story, in that the vampire who is known as the Master is uh, played as a female who is played by Bonnie Aarons, who many people will know as the nun. So your kind of Nosferatu Dracula figure is a, is a female. And she uh, she bites Anne Fedder, played by Barbara Crampton, the absolute legend. And uh, instead of it being a story about Anne's character fading away and dying after being bitten by a vampire, it's actually about her helping to find her identity. So it's it's kind of a, an analogy for finding yourself in your in your midlife or as you're becoming older, shall we say. So instead of uh, the the typical portrayal, like the uh, the Mina Harkers in Dracula, where she kind of retires to the bed, gets iller and iller, and then eventually passes away or becomes a vampire, then it's instead it's like, oh, this thing's happened to me, this horrible thing. I'm gonna use this to kind of kickstart my life, which was dull and uninteresting beforehand. In between it is a whole lot of horror, which is both funny and horror at the same time. Maybe you mentioned Mina, I just think of Dracula Dead and Loving It. Mina? Mina? Oh, Mina, you're frightful! <laughs> and fetch the doctor! <laughs> well, they made a very concerted effort with this film to try and do something different, and it, it becomes a really interesting analogy. Uh, but you know what? I, I feel like someone else can explain this to us better than I can. Not me. No, not you. Uh, I had the absolutely wonderful greatest of pleasures of sitting down to have a chat with uh, producer and star Barbara Crampton, the absolute horror legend. I cannot say it enough. Legend, legend, legend. To talk about this film. So let's throw over to Barbara and I as we have a chat about it. Hi, Barbara. How are you doing today? Great, Neil. How are you? I am very well, thank you. It's lovely to talk to you. Thank you, too. So... I absolutely loved this film. Jacob's Wife is fantastic. I adored every second of it. Take me back to the beginning and how you got involved with this project. Well, uh, the script won a screenplay competition in 2015 at Shriekfest in Los Angeles. And Mark Steensland, the original writer, and Denise Gossett, the director of that fest, reached out to me personally because they thought it would be potentially a role that I would really like. Um, I'm not sure at the time if they knew I had started producing or not, but I had, and um, I worked on Beyond the Gates with Jackson Stewart, and I had a couple of other things in development as well at the time. And so I thought, wow, this is a really great script, a really great part, and this is meaningful to me. So I thought it was something that I could potentially be in and, and also um, produce. But funny enough, I told the guys, I said, listen, I, I really would like to do this. Um, and if we got somebody say like Susan Sarandon to do it, I'll, I'll, I'll let her play the part. But otherwise, you know, I would love to, I would love to play the part. Yeah. So I, I really, I really took to the, to the story and its meaning and uh, from the very beginning. I, I can't imagine anybody else playing the role. It feels perfectly written for you. I don't, I don't know what it is. You're, you absolutely just, you are one with that character. It's amazing. Well, I, I used a lot of myself in it as well. Um, you know, originally the script was written through the, the lens of, uh, of Jacob and how okay. he could deal with a partner who maybe had a terminal illness, you know, as maybe vampirism would be. And that was the metaphor for it. And we decided that we would 
change that aspect and make it more uh, a feminist movie from the lens of Anne's character. And so really um, in, because everybody knew that I was probably going to play the lead, the subsequent rewrites for the film focused on me, um, Barbara as that character. So I do think it's very close to me. I think it's, you know, personality wise and everything. I, I use a lot of myself in this role that maybe I don't in some other movies. So I think, you know, you're, you're probably seeing my own personality in the role as well. I was going to say that that flip on the vampire lore is so interesting, giving it that feminist edge and taking, you know, the classic portrayal of, say, Dracula, where the female character, when she gets bitten, is the one who shrinks away or is the one that, you know, becomes... It needs to be saved. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they become yeah. they become the victim, and you're not the victim right. in this film no. whatsoever. Was did, was that a refreshing change to get to yes. play? Yes, I mean, really, um, we, we were trying to focus on the feminist aspect from the beginning, while keeping in mind that we wanted it to be a movie where she's not blaming her husband. It's as much as a feminist movie. It is, it's also a movie about a marriage and a long-term relationship. And how do you keep that going when something tragic or unexpected happens to one person? Yeah. And they, you know, they become, they become different. And how how do you work with that? And how do you not leave your partner? How do you, how do you potentially not, you know, say, okay, I'm gonna do away with you and I'm just gonna go off by myself. I'm gonna pick up my toys and leave. How do, how do you stay in the game, you know? And that's that's a question I think a lot of people wrestle with at many different times in their lives when you have a partner, male, female, whoever yeah. it is, that you say, how, how, do you, how do you stay in this when things change? Yeah, that's, that's very true. And it, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that you, you, you get the feminist angle, but then it, it isn't a, a case whereby at the end of the film, she leaves Jacob. They are very much still together at the end. Do you think there's more to the story that could come after that? It feels to me like a, oh, like a beginning. Well, actually, I don't think you know at the end of the story what's going to happen. Mm. Because it, it really, you know, now we're in spoiler territory, but <laughs> you, you know, you're left with the feeling that there's a few different roads they can go. And I think depending on your point of view is, you know, you, the, the viewer can decide what's going to happen, you know? Um, is she going to kill her husband yeah. and go with the vampire? Is she going to fight her husband <laughs> and go on with him as a vampire? Or are they going to try to live as equals? Or, you know, could she potentially, um, you know, go and find the master and kill the master and be released finally? Uh, I mean, because we don't know what happens at the end with the master, right? So, yeah. um that is a question that we wrestled with in 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 all the rewrites that that any any of those possibilities could be true and we don't we don't really know but isn't yeah. that isn't that kind of like how relationships are we don't yeah. really know when we take a leap of faith every time we wake up in the morning with the same person and and continue on with them I've been talking to quite a few other podcasters who've seen the movie as well today. We're, we've all been kind of discussing our interpretation of the ending. I, I saw the two of them jumping in the car and going off traveling, maybe hunting other vampires, but also finding a way to still live together. And, uh, and some good friends were saying, no, no, I'm sorry. That was it. He, she was going to bite him. Someone else said, no, he was going to stake it. All those interpretations are there. 
I think they are. And it really does depend on where you come from in, you know, in the equation of, you know, man and women or partner and partner equals what, what, you know, what's going to happen. Yeah. It was really hard for us to decide, you know, what for even in my, in my mind, I mean, I have a couple of different thoughts about it. Um, and I, and I do have my feeling about what I think happens. Um, but maybe it would be a nice thing to explore in Jacob's wife too, if we ever get that opportunity. My fingers <laughs> crossed for you, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> How different is the filmmaking experience when you are, you know, producing as well as acting in, in the piece? It's a lot more work, Neil, yeah, let me tell you. It's, it's <laughs> hard. Um, yeah, I've been with this project for four years. Um, it's rewarding. Um, I do feel like I, I've been with the project from the beginning, so I was able to shepherd pretty much every aspect of it. Um, it was really great to work with Travis as director and Bob Portal, my other main producer on the movie. Um, I've been working with him on developing some other projects, and I think he and I work really well together. It's been exciting. It's it's definitely a new chapter in in my life as far as the entertainment business, and it's not too dissimilar to you know Anne's journey of finding herself. Mm finding new agency and discovering other aspects of herself that she never knew could flourish, you know, in her own life. And I feel like that's similar to, to what's been happening to me that I just sort of naturally flowed into the producing aspect and found that I really liked it a lot and, um, and, and enjoying that. So uh, I, I, I love working on stories that are meaningful, whether I'm, going to play a part or not. It's just, I'm really interested in, in telling the truth of stories and illuminating the human condition. And maybe all that sounds cliche, but it's kind of really true. I, I really enjoy storytelling and um, getting to the heart of the matter and, and working with other creatives and bringing their stories to the forefront. I don't think it's cliche at all. I think one thing that, you know, really comes across is how much you love this project and how much it means to you and, and finding that analogy and it must be amazing especially when it's something so fantastical and mm -hmm. I guess that's maybe something that you maybe didn't find when you were making movies in you know the 80s does it feel different now the way these movies are made given that you know almost anyone can pick up a camera but it's all about selling the movie how how different is that experience well you know I mean as an actor in the 80s I just sort of stayed in my lane and people would call me for a part and I would do it or not. Um, I had a, a grand collaboration over many years with Stuart yeah. Gordon as to Jeffrey Combs. And um, I do feel like we were all part of the project uh, from the very beginning and we were able to really give our thoughts. And so, you know, that's not too dissimilar in a way to what I'm doing now. I'm just doing it in a bigger hmm. scale, you know? Um, it is easy to make a movie now. Um, uh but it's also harder in some ways because yeah. i think years ago you as a young filmmaker could make a movie and it could be you know decent and you'd always get another chance to make a better one yeah and make a better one and make a better one and there was a there was a lot more need for for product you know back in the 80s and so and there was a little bit more money for each individual project. Now there's so many projects, so many filmmakers and so many movies out there 
that the slice of the pie you're getting is so much smaller. So I feel like it's harder for filmmakers mm. today to make a movie and get asked to make another one. Yeah. You know? And I feel like you have to, you have to really make sure that your first movie, you really hit it out of the park. And I think you really have to shepherd it in ways in today's market that maybe you didn't have to in years past because you want to be a Mike Flanagan, you know, you want to, you want to, uh, you want to rise to the top. You want to be a Joe Lynch. You want to be able to um, cut through the noise and, and be able to, you know, have somebody say, Oh my God, you want to be an Ari Oster. You want to be, um, um, you know, uh, um, some of these other filmmakers that are, I just feel like are breaking through, you know, you have to be able to break through. And I think it's just, it's just harder now to break through. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you feel like the types of stories have changed in horror from back, back then? It feels like there's more, with a film like this, there's more human drama, which is mixed in with the kind of horror elements, which I, I personally really, really enjoy. It's just, I wonder what your perspective is like on that. Yeah, I think, I think we go through different periods of different kinds of stories being at the forefront. I mean, when I, when I was making movies in the eighties, it was a lot of splattery stuff and yeah. you know, I, I was, a lot of practical effects. I, you know, worked with Stuart Gordon. So a lot of it was, you know, somewhat comedic and somewhat over the top in a way. Um, and then we go through periods, you know, where we go through the slasher aspect or we went through the torture porn aspect, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but I, I think television, you know, has helped in a way to maybe want to tell more human stories because television is king right now. We're telling stories over so many weeks where you're really getting invested in the characters and getting to yeah. know them. And, and so I think um, that that is bleeding over into, uh, into the storytelling of, of um, today's stories. And I also think in a weird way, um, reality television has helped us yeah. get there too, because we are so fascinated watching The Bachelor or The Bachelorette or Bachelor in Paradise or, you know, The Hollywood Wives and things like, is it called Hollywood Wives? Um, you know, The Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yep. Because we, we really see the inner workings of people and what they're thinking and feeling and why they're acting the way they are. And people are in different camps and how they feel about different reality characters that we want to see that truth and illumination in, in, in storytelling today. So I feel like, like we are seeing that. We're seeing more human dramas um, play out and, and people are really invested in, in getting into the inner workings and the psychology of the characters. Yeah, it's an exciting time, I think. I think it's very exciting. Yeah, so it's not so much like a spectacle. Like in the 80s, I felt like, even though my the stories I was involved in with Stuart Gordon, the films I was involved in, had great characters and you really understood them. But they were also geared more towards spectacle and splatter, you know, and I don't, I don't know if, yeah. you know, Marvel's doing that, but I don't think we're doing that in these personal, more personal stories. No, I would agree. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time yeah. to talk to me today. It's been an absolute privilege. It's lovely talking to you. Thank you, Neil. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Barbara and I chatting about Jacob's wife. 
first time I will point out that I have ever done an interview uh, on camera with someone. All of my interviews that you've heard on this podcast have been telephone interviews, so the other person isn't looking me in the eye across camera, whereas Barbara and I were chatting to each other, which was mightily daunting, but also really good fun, and she was absolutely lovely, and I really hope... She does a lot of horror conventions and stuff, so I really hope that she comes over to the UK for something at some point so I can be like, Barbara, Barbara, I interviewed you about Jacob's wife. Babs, remember me. Remember me. Please remember me. Uh, yeah, she, but she was lovely. So the the film is streaming on Shudder from August the 19th. My review will be up on the website very, very shortly, but I can basically tell you that I loved this film. It completely subverts expectations and is incredibly good fun. Some really great classic practical gore effects as well, and also really great practical makeup effects. Oh god, I think I saw the scene where she like vomits everywhere, and I thought, oh, that's enough. You saw um, when the, the 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 master spoiler alert is is staked. I'm sure I saw somebody vomit as well. Maybe, I think there is some vomit in there somewhere. Well, I'll will just stick to Leslie Nielsen and Dracula Dead and loving it. Would you like to move on to a TV series or another movie? Uh, oh, I don't know. The TV series? Titans, it is. Oh, okay. So Titans has returned in the US for season three. It's now an HBO Max exclusive. Episodes one to three are available to stream now. It will be coming to Netflix, we believe, towards the end of October. So probably pretty soon after the season finishes on HBO Max in the US, it will uh, come to Netflix internationally. We've seen the first six episodes of season three. So again, there will be some minor spoilers in the next bit of discussion as we talk about our thoughts on this. I expect you to have a lot to say, given this is your favourite TV show of all time. Maybe. I'm very um, monosyllabic. <laughs> okay, so uh, initial thoughts on episodes one to six of Titan season three. Are you glad to have it back? Yes. Has it lived up to expectations? Yes. I feel that there's a hesitation. I mean, it's, we're, we're delving into some real deep Red Hood lore yes. here. So for anybody that's not seen the episodes but has seen the trailers, you will know that this season is dealing with the death of Jason Todd, played by Karen Walters, and his return and rebirth as the potentially villainous Red Hood. Right out of the gate, I did not expect season three to open with that scene. I figured we would get a couple of episodes, reset the landscape of what the Titans are doing, what Jason's doing, before he would be offed with a crowbar by the Joker. But no, lo and behold, that is literally where we pick up episode one, season three. How did you think that sat as an opening? I mean, it's it sort of sets the scene for the series as a whole, because they don't hold back. They really don't hold back. Episode two is a little bit slower and is probably the slowest of the six episodes that we have seen but overall by and large season three is pretty relentless in what we've seen i mean it's very very fast this i mean it doesn't it's relentless mm. so how do you uh the the, the red hood storyline is is not wrapped up in what we have seen it will carry on for much of the season how do you feel about what we've seen of it so far? There's been some moments that have come straight from the comic book. There have been moments that they've kind of riffed on a little bit. How do you feel they've done in adapting Red Hood? I think it's it's good, but it's too fast. Yeah, and do you feel like they're 
moving a little bit too quickly through it then. Yeah, and we're, we've lost a lot of what makes him him. Okay. Like all of it. How do you feel about what they've given us instead in terms of this interpretation? I'm not sure. It doesn't... I appreciate that it's a different universe. Mm-hmm. And that a fairly bleak one, I might add. A very bleak universe, and there will be changes. Um, and I'm happy to see a real live-action Red Hood. The costume is outstanding. Yeah, and we've got some really nice tie-backs to Under the Red Hood. Yep. Some really key scenes that have translated over very nicely. But I feel like we've lost a little bit of his journey to becoming the Jason that's in the comics now. Yeah. Because he hasn't had a chance to train all over the world and work through his issues, basically. Unless that's going to happen kind of between seasons three and four. I could do, but there's this whole other stuff that's going on that I'm not massively comfortable with. There could be a redemptive arc to him in the back half of the season that could see him go off to train. There are still plenty of rumours that there's going to be a Red Hood TV series that would follow on from this. So perhaps that's where they're doing it slightly backwards. He has this huge turn, becomes villainous, is <laughs> redempted, redeemed by the end of the season, goes off travelling and then has his own adventures. Perhaps. Just blue sky thinking. Maybe, maybe. So you alluded to uh, something that's happening that is making him the way he is right now. And you have mentioned that it's not something that you're sure you're particularly keen on. I don't want to reveal um, too much about Red Hood and who he might be aligned with or working with or having a dalliance with. Ooh, but dalliance. There, yeah, so there is a drug addiction aspect to this which is not from the comic book yeah no i don't like that in the slightest because it goes uh, completely against his background considering he's mum and his dad and okay so can i make a point then personally no just personally from my perspective because i obviously don't know as much anywhere near as much about the character of red hood as you do i most of my information from red hood comes from under the red hood death in the family so the drug angle doesn't feel too off to me not that I'm saying it feels in keeping with the character, but in terms of motivation and how it took him to facing the Joker, how it then is maybe affecting him now, post-death, post-resurrection, for me, works as a story about a character going through this scenario. Yeah, I'll give you that. So what's the history? Were his parents drug addicts? Well, his mum died of a drug overdose because she was a, like a meth head or is that, heroin have, addict. Have we covered that in the show? Kind of. There's a throwaway comment to it. Um, I, think his dad was a, I think his dad was a drug addict. In some versions he is, some versions he isn't. So at the minute he's not. Um, but I think in the lost days he was. But essentially, I mean, they're not nice people. No, that's interesting. So, it, uh, And it's all down to interpretation. I mean, we talked about this with the Suicide Squad and me me saying to Chris when we have a Hulk about how did he feel about Starro having not really read Justice League comics. It's the same thing here, is how do you feel about Jason Todd when I don't know as much about the character? Uh, what about Barbara Gordon? So we have Savannah Welch, who's joined the cast this season as Barbara Gordon, and I freaking love her. I really like her. Again, it was like it's kind of weird to place her journey because we talk about... There's some throw comments to why well, I've hung up the cape and the cowl. Yep. Which and, I forgot and I yeah. got very confused when it comes to episode six where we have flashbacks where she's not a Batgirl. Yeah. So then you go think, oh, where does this all fit in the timeline? But then you think, 
oh, why am I worrying about that? She's a really good character. Yeah, she's really well written. I, I've talked about this. So there's a first impressions piece that you can read over on our website, which is very, very non-spoilery and covers the first few episodes. And then again, similar to Star Trek Lower Decks, I've got individual episode reviews which are going up on the website at the same time as the episodes themselves. So that's all available on the website, which I cannot drive it home enough. It's www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. And I talked about the fact that I feel like they've made her fit this world. So she is a little bit cold at times and a little bit distant. But at the same time, she still feels recognisable to me as being a version of Barbara Gordon. And we acknowledge her history with the Joker. We have. Um, I'd be interested to know what happened to her dad. So there's a photo of him. We've seen a photo of Jim Gordon and her. But yes, he is not around. Actually, it's been mentioned. It's in the three episodes that are out. So yes, he's dead. He's dead. (laughs) He's gone. He's gone. Um, But she's a great addition to the cast. And so episode six really fleshes out her character with some flashbacks, which also tie in the origin of Lady Vic. It's no spoiler for me to say that Lady Vic is in that episode because it's well publicised that the episode is called Lady Vic. Okay, so any any other highlights for you in these first six episodes? How about Dick? I mean, I do... I mean, that is a highlight. I mean... You were going to say, I love Dick. I was going to say that. Yeah, I thought it was too obvious. Um, yes, I mean, he's a, he's a real strong highlight. It spears through all those episodes. You can really see character development from my perspective. So being Robin in series one and not really knowing that he wants to be a leader to throwing away and burning the Robin costume and kind of being out of costume for a while and trying to find his place to claiming the mantle of Nightwing. And finally, the name Nightwing is said within about 30 seconds of the first episode starting. Maybe not 30 seconds, but within the first 10 minutes. And now it feels like he's accepting of being a leader. He's still not a perfect leader and has faults there. But there's a there's a huge arc for him across the, the three seasons. Tell me here now, you're saying you've enjoyed watching Dick grow. <laughs> yes. Dick Grayson has grown a lot as a character and I have enjoyed watching that journey. I'd like to see him do more flippy stuff. <laughs> flippy dippy stuff. Yeah. Acrobatic stuff. Yeah. There's a great fight sequence in episode one with four of the Titans together, which I think was probably... And hopefully a sign of things to come, but it's much more fun, it's much lighter, it's it's got what I hoped the show would be from the start, I think, in terms of how that scene is set up. Mm, that's a good scene. Any other characters that you want to highlight of what you've seen so far? What do you think about the addition of Jonathan Crane? So you've got Vincent Carthizer from Angel. Uh, as we're recording this, there is news out that he is uh, he has been problematic on set. His one-year contract is apparently unlikely to be renewed for another season. He supposedly acted up and did not behave particularly well. But let's park that. What do you think of the character of Jonathan Crane as a um, dope smoker? Yeah, I don't like... I mean, I'm not a fan of that. But then there's a lot of that in American TV anyway, isn't there? And I'm just... I don't... No, not for me. I like the idea of him as a Hannibal-type character. That idea of villain behind bars who is assisting. It's yeah. cool. I'd like him to be a little bit more... I don't know. He doesn't feel overly Dr. Crane-esque to me. No. He d- he's coming across as a bit too much of a... I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? I'm not sure. I don't know either. I d- I'm looking at you, but I don't know where you're going with this. I'm getting too much of a... Like a... I'm a bit of a lad that smokes... You're nodding your head. You're like wobbling your head back and yeah. forth. So that no bit, one at home can a, see this. Bit of a, like a geezer type. Oh, really? Jack okay. the lad. 
Like I'm only going to tell you things if you give me my. Yeah. Manipulative. Yeah, I would like him. I'd like him to be a little bit more sort of calculating, cold, and calculating, and actually be a, a psychiatrist. Yeah, we've not seen him be particularly psychiatristy, like the the Doctor Queen that we know and love from the Christopher Nolan. Yeah, era. Yeah, that's true. That's a that's a wonderful performance in that version. And the Beatas era. Those were some good scarecrows. Yep. Uh, while you were saying that, that suddenly made me think of Easter eggs. Uh, just because you were talking about villains, and you said what? psychiatrist, and it made me think of Harley Quinn. Let's go over Christmas first. <laughs> There is a much bigger, much bolder Batcave in season three because we are being set in Gotham. In the first three episodes, you do get to see Dick wandering through the Batcave. And there are a lot of Easter eggs to be seen. There are a lot. It is like an Easter egg hunt. Yes. Now, I would like to point out that if you look very carefully, there is a Harley Quinn mallet. And it does appear to be the mallet from Suicide Squad, which I found far more exciting than I probably should have. But there's a lot to see in there. From the T-Rex to the giant penny, to Scarecrow's mask, to Catwoman's whip and goggles. This, uh, Joker cards are plenty. There's so much in there. He makes a joke about Catwoman as well, doesn't he? Yes, there is a joke about Catwoman. They have like a, a chat about taste in women. He's like, oh, don't go for a cat or something. Yes, there is. And you've got all the Robins as well. Yes, there is a monitor, which again is in the first three episodes. So if you've seen them, this isn't a huge spoiler, which shows... Carrie Kelly, Stephanie Brown, Stephanie Brown, Duke, and one of the others from We Are Robin as well. They are stock photos, so those are not actors who've been hired to play those roles. They are just stock photos, so if they do ever come into it, they'd have to kind of retcon that slightly, but still cool to have them mentioned as being in this world. It's just like stock pictures of people's faces. Yeah. Oh, have to get, did they get paid for that? No, it's, it'll be like you go on Getty Images and buy an image. Oh. So they've just licensed that image for use in the in the program. God, that'd be amazing! Imagine if they license your face as. Well, that's the thing. You could you could be a huge Titans fan, who happens to also be like a, a model or has done some photos that is available, and you could be watching it, and that could be your photo that turns up. Well, not I mean, bring... this was the whole thing that I talked to you about with um, the screener versions of Love Simon season two that I watched. When uh, so they were they were unfinished versions of the episodes that were missing some of the the, the very very small bits of visual effects that they put in including stock imagery so one of the one of the teens houses that that video that like establishing shot of the house had getty images written across it they hadn't filmed a house they bought footage of a house as stock footage to use but a, a house is different to somebody's face though isn't it I mean, it's just stock imagery at the end of the day just, yeah i suppose i suppose it's like the man in the picture frame when you buy a picture frame although they don't do that anymore do they no, yeah. but like think about every advert that you pass by on the tube or on a bus somewhere. That's just stock images that they've bought. Think about Canva. Canva's full of stock imagery that you can use. Yeah, that's true. You've got to pay for the good ones, though. I do. Well, I don't. <laughs> that, that's a tangent and a half. We, we haven't talked about Tim Drake. No, we have not talked about Tim Drake. So he was next on my hit list of people to talk about. So Jay Lycogo appears in uh, only two of the episodes that we've seen. So he's in episode one and then returns again in episode six, not six, four. So what did you think of Tim? We've not really seen a lot of him, just little bits nope. here and there. But I think we've got a good idea of his character from what we've seen. I mean, I'd like to see a bit more before making any judgments. That's fair enough. I would imagine there'll be a lot more of him later on in the season. Very good. I shall reserve judgment until we get a bit more of him. It goes a bit timey-wimey from episode five onwards, so I think that's why we've not seen very much more and we've not picked up on the cliffhanger of his from episode four yet. 
because episode five is a flashback which fills in the gaps on what happened to Jason between season two and season three and catches up kind of parallel to some of the first episodes of season three. And then uh, episode six, again, is predominantly flashback with Dick and Babs whilst also telling the the story of how uh, Lady Vic comes to be and how she then travels to Gotham. So I guess we're going to pick up on all the sort of dangling plot threads in uh, episode seven when it comes around in a couple of weeks' time. We do. That was me weaving the plot threads together visually for you. Doing some like weird gang thing, I mean. No. Uh, anything else that you want to say about these six episodes of Titans? Probably, but we won't. <laughs> okay. Because well, we've got a lot to cover, haven't we? Uh, have you? Okay. So, one well, last thing for me is: Have you seen enough Nightwing uh, now that he's suited up? He's got the mantle. Are you seeing enough Nightwing? Well, I mean, you could always see more. Okay. Uh, do you feel satisfied in that Nightwing journey, though? I think so. I mean, it's an it's an, it's an insatiable appetite for more Nightwing. So, actually, one last thing that I would like to say before we move on from Titans: What do you think about what's happened with Bruce Wayne this season? I mean, that's again very quick, and it kind of felt like a way to get rid of him and for them to be there. Yep, that's fair. But that's it. That's what you're saying. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I would agree with you on that point. So, Titans is new episodes weekly in the US on HBO Max. You can currently watch episodes. Well, you can catch up on seasons one and two, and you can watch episodes one, two, and three of season three. New episodes air on Thursdays. It will come to the UK in late October via Netflix. We will keep you updated on the date for that. That leads us to our last review for this week this bumper review issue, and uh, we are talking about Warner Brothers Reminiscence, which is written and directed by Lisa Joy and stars Hugh Jackman, Tandry Newton, and Rebecca Ferguson. Oh, also Cliff Curtis, the dad from Fear the Walking Dead, the first couple of seasons of Fear the Walking Dead before, you know, they killed off the family that was the centre of the series and made it about other people. He was the bent cop. I was sitting there thinking, what's he been in? I could have sworn it was like Law and Order or something. But he may have, but he he's the he's the dad of the the main family from the beginning of Fear the Walking Dead. Oh God, he was horrible in this film. He was horrible in this film, but incredibly well acted. I will point out. Oh yeah, no, he's, he's not a bad actor. I just mean he was a horrible, horrible man. Yeah, no, he he he's done really well for himself since uh, they unceremoniously killed him off. So, Reminiscence follows Nick Bannister, a private investigator of the mind. He navigates the alluring world of the past when his life is changed by new client May. A simple case becomes an obsession after she disappears and he fights to learn the truth about her. Okay, so I know that when I took you to see the press screening of this one, you had little to no idea about what you were getting in for. No, I mean, it was day one. I don't even think I'd shown you the trailer. No, I was just there, to be honest. It was very early in the morning. (laughs) It was a 9.30 call for a 10 o'clock start. It was an early one. It was the first day of my annual leave. (laughs) Okay, so no expectations whatsoever. You don't even know what it's about. Completely clean slate. What did you think? I really enjoyed it, actually. It was, it was, I, I had really high hopes for it because it is in the vein of like, I don't want to say The Matrix, but I guess it has some of that sort of sensibility of science fiction. Like Maybe the, more of like an Inception. I mean, it is produced by um, Jonathan Nolan, who's Christopher Nolan's brother. So there is Nolan blood in this film. But... Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> really? Yeah. So it is of that ilk. And I mean, I had a feeling that you would enjoy it because you enjoy Chris Nolan's films. Obviously, it, it's written and directed by Lisa Joy, who is very much not Chris Nolan. But yeah, I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, It surpassed expectations for me. It makes sense now. He said it's been touched by Nolan. 
Emily? An, an Orland brother, not an Orland sister. Oh, I was going to make a joke about being in the mood for dancing, but yeah. yeah. Um, and in what respect? Well, it was given at all, wasn't it? Back to the film. Sorry. It was very good because um, it's it's almost like a love child between Inception and The Matrix. Hmm. It is. It's got some... It's very sophisticated in its idea of science fiction. It's not something that is really slavish and kind of smashes you over the head with this is the technology, this is what's happening. It's very matter-of-fact in this is the world. It's not the world that you live in. It's drastically different. They refer to events that they don't really fill in the gaps on it's all there for you to interpret yourself and the the science fiction aspects of it are are just there and are part of the story okay so what did you really enjoy about it everything well <laughs> sorry go on everything see exactly uh, okay so, how do you unpack that one what do you think about the concept of it high concept oh very good High sci-fi concept, but not another kind of melt your face off other Nolan way, <laughs> and a much more accessible way. It's a good word, actually. It's very accessible. I was worried early on about the narration. So Hugh Jackman does do a fair amount of narration throughout the film, which is where it gets its kind of neo-noir detective story aspects from, which are very, very cool. He's but got a beautiful narration voice, though. He does have a beautiful narration voice, doesn't he? Um, but I was worried that that was going to kind of ruin it. I thought that was going to give us too much exposition, which it, I guess in a way it did, but it didn't at the same time, if that makes sense. But it was very clever in the way how it did it, though, because when you get to the end, you're like, oh, clever. Yeah. That's the narration. And I guess you do kind of realise that there's probably a twist coming all along, but there are a couple along the way. I was surprised by how romantic it was. Mm. I knew that there was obviously part of a love story in there. It's it's in the synopsis for you to unpack. It's right there. He falls in love with this woman called May, played by Rebecca Ferguson, who then disappears and it becomes his obsession. But even amidst that in a detective story, it was still overly romantic with the notion of sort of happy endings or love stories telling there's the whole scene of them on the on the rooftop where she's like tell me a tell me a happy story or don't tell me a tragic story tell me a tell me a tragic story and stop in the middle and make it a happy story just removing a cat from the desk so i did feel it was it was overly romantic in that respect but not in a bad way but then you've got to think it's not really they're telling a story that's not the story you think they're telling and then they really grab you at the end. Yes. Like, oh, that was clever and really sad. It was very sad, wasn't it? It was a very well-constructed narrative. It worked. There, there, There is a genuine mystery to unpack. So I wonder what it will be like on repeat viewings when you know what's going to happen. Mm. I wonder how it will survive that kind of repeat viewing because I feel like it's a film I could watch again. Definitely. But I just wonder if there is... Here goes the cat across the desk again. I just wonder if there is um, more to unpack in future viewings or whether it'll be more about, okay, that was a clue to this and picking up on what was there that you didn't pick up on the first time. I reckon there'll probably be more of that because there's so many different subtle nuances. And they sort of say that because this whole thing is he looks at people's memories because you pick up things that you don't realise you've remembered. Yep. And I think that's the whole point of the film where if you watch it again... You will pick up on more. You'll pick up on more because, you know, that whole sort of peripheral vision, sci-fi stuff. Hmm. Yeah. 
What do you think about the cast? Uh, that was a very good cast. Uh, I feel like I need to up my narration game now. <laughs> okay, I want to hear the rest of this podcast in your narrator's voice then. Apparently I've got a very soothing voice. Somebody you do have a very soothing day. voice. I'm sure people love a, a lilting Scottish accent. Well, it's because I used to work in theatre recovery, so I was the voice that would wake you up after an operation. I, I know. Not that you ever woke me up for an operation, but yes. Well, no, when I wake you up, it's not soothing. It's just get up. Hugh Jackman. Yes, I mean, he's a good man, isn't he? He's a good man, our Hugh. I did feel a bit sad, though. Yeah? Because um, I just want him to be Wolverine. But it, this character is not Wolverine. There's a couple of times he got angry in this film, and I don't know why, but I just, it just made me go, oh, Wolverine. Because when there's a couple of fight scenes, and he's not as good. Yep. But then, wait, well, he's not Wolverine. Yeah. In this film, he's a, a war-torn, adult ex soldier with there's a lot that you could unpack from that war story that's not unpacked in this film which is really interesting and i'm just like come on kill him you're wolverine (laughs) it's like well you're not really though are you but you're still built like wolverine what about rebecca ferguson that's may i just want to do the the x factor voice whenever you say that rebecca ferguson Ferguson. yes all right um i thought she was very good so you probably had the cat horn uh so she's very good a chameleon, because I did go through various phases of yes. hating her, sympathising with her, um, and feeling very sorry for her. Yep, yep. The, it's a it's a very difficult role to try and unpack, thanks to the varying sort of timelines, memories, present day, not present day, not not present day. Is it a memory? Is it not memory? Oh, we're back into memory. Oh, yeah. she's nice. Oh, God. What's going on here? It's almost like a, um insomnia. The Christopher Nolan film that's told backwards. Insomnia? Oh no, I've not seen that. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's hers is like a broken narrative that could be very interesting if you watched it in uh, chronological order compared to how it's presented to you in the film. It's probably too high concept. I mean, I struggle with Tenant. Tenant. Tenant? Tenant. Tenant. Oh, I need to rewatch Tenant. This film had a similarly booming score like Tenant. Uh, this was a Ramin Dwadi. The, the composer of Game of Thrones, who does a blinder in this film, I have to say. I cannot wait to listen to the score. I mean, I do like a Game of Thrones score. He's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. Also a genius chameleon. Here it was like Ramon Dwadi does Hans Zimmer, but in his own unique way. Have we seen him? Was he at that when he did that concert? Yeah, yeah that we've him? seen him live at the Game of Thrones concert. He's the man that was conducting. He played piano a couple of times, but he was, yeah, he was there. The piano. Yes. What about Tandy Newton? Now, you said to me, who is she? And I said, it's Carter's wife from ER. Oh, no, see, I knew she was instantly because she wasn't very nice to Carter. <laughs> well, I think this is, in fact, I said it in my reaction tweet to this film, but I think this was like a career best for her. She was outstanding. Mm, she was amazing. She really, really, really was. I I felt a lot for her character, um, Watts. What was her name? Watts. Oh, I thought you were saying you felt a lot, Watts. No, 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 it was her name. Watts. Watts. Yeah, Watts. But the two of them together, they made a very strong duo. Yes. Great chemistry between her and Jackman. Very, very... I felt like they'd been together for years. Mm. You I could hope, feel the history. I hope there's a wee gong in it for them. They call them a gong? Award. Award, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would... I mean, it's a sci-fi film, so they don't tend to get the nominations, but I would really hope that there would be some kind of recognition for it because it is outstandingly acted. Was there anything that you didn't like? No. No, me neither. Apart from the fact that it ended. 
Ooh, Ooh, let's just talk about that for a sec. This is obviously an original film. There aren't many of them these days. It's not based on an existing IP. It's not a sequel. And it doesn't go to great lengths to set up a sequel. No, I mean, it could do. I mean, there is, Yeah, there's definitely a world that you could tell more stories in. But this is a very well-defined beginning, middle and end for these characters. There is no need to ever see them again. Unless you went back in time. I, I, honestly, I, I, said to, um, I said to Jed, who was sat in the same row as us, afterwards, uh, we were tweeting each other about what we thought of the film. I said to him, I think I, it made me like it more that it was an original property and was not saying, here, here's a new cinematic universe. It was just a film. How often do you get just a film these days from a major studio in that respect? Well, never. Apart from if it comes from Nolan, obviously, <laughs> which is where that connection comes from, I guess. But it was just, I don't know, I was really surprised by that and really, really happy about it. I was just going to say, has it performed well, but it's not out yet. It's not, it's not out yet. It's in cinemas on Friday, which is the 20th. So 20th of August, you can catch it in cinemas. In the US, it will also be available on HBO Max. The visual effects were maybe not blockbuster top-notch, but they didn't need to be. They weren't a huge... I mean, the landscapes, which were obviously very heavily augmented with VFX, looked amazing. But some of the green screen work was a little bit shifty. When You know when he was jumping between buildings? It was a little bit soft around the edges, but that's really nothing to complain about in what is an absolutely outstanding film. No, I mean, it was a good film. Anything else that you want to say about it? No, good film. Watch it. Mm, Do, absolutely. It's flying under the radar for a lot of people. I've spoken to some friends who who are not part of the whole reviewing podcasting crowd and said, I'm going to see Reminiscence. We all said, oh, what's that? I've not heard of that. Which is quite a surprise, considering it's Hugh Jackman. Uh, but the, the in kind of my group of uni people, the, um, the, un, the recognition of this film is fairly low, which is quite sad. So I'm going to be beating the drum about this one for a while. Beat that drum. Hmm, yes. Beat the drum for Hugh and Tandy. And that marathon. And Rebecca. And Rebecca. That marathon. And the other man. <laughs> Cliff Curtis. Yeah. Oh, do you know what just occurred to me as well? When we go back, and when you're going to shout to me. So the whole thing about Bruce. Ooh, we've gone back to Titans. And the Joker. Yes. I mean, that just doesn't fit with the narrative either for Red Hood. No. Because this whole thing was, why didn't you avenge my death? Yeah, exactly. When he did. Yes. Quite quickly. <laughs> I know. Anyway, continue what you were saying. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you for that insight into Titans there. Parallel universe, isn't it? This is a universe where people shoot first and ask questions later. So that brings us, I think, can I just double check? Has that brought us to the end of this marathon set of reviews? I think so, yeah. Okay. Uh, Which brings us to the end of the episode. So a huge thank you again to, uh, well, where do we start? Huge thank you to Warner Brothers for letting us uh, watch both Titans and Reminiscence. A huge thank you to 20th Century Studios for letting us see Free Guy. A huge thank you to Amazon Prime for letting us see Star Trek Lower Decks. And a huge thank you to Shudder and to Barbara Crampton for uh, getting us involved with Jacob's Wife. A lot of people to thank this episode, but a lot of really great films and TV shows out there at this point in time, which feels great at the end of a kind of 18-month period where things have not been hugely consistent just due to everything that's been going on. I don't need to tell you. We'll be back. Well, actually, we we need to have a conversation about the next episode. Because uh, in two weekends' time, when we would normally record, we will be in Edinburgh. We will. So, unless we're planning to take microphones with us and record a podcast in your mum's spare room, we might be a little bit late with the next episode. We will. (laughs) 
because uh, we're having a, a mini holiday. We are. I don't know what else to say. No, we, I know. We I'm are. Just, I'm just looking just at you. Looking at me, I'm just say, trying to freak you out. Say more things, and I, I don't know. I'll just, I'll just talk rubbish. <laughs> so when we're back, we'll be in September, which puts us in prime Shang-Chi territory, which hits cinemas on the 3rd of September. I am extremely excited for that one now. The more I see of it, the more excited I am. We also have a brand new Mortal Kombat animated movie, Mortal Kombat Legends, semicolon, Battle of the Realms, which is coming to us from Warner Brothers Animation. I am going to be sitting down with the writer, Jeremy Adams, to discuss that one. So hopefully we'll have him on the show, maybe next episode, to talk about that. Otherwise, everything will be up in the air. The list was so long for this episode that we had to cut quite a lot, and that's already after cutting the news out. So there's a few other films that we could be talking about, such as Censor, which I've been to see, which is amazing. I also recently read the first issue of Batman 89, which was brilliant. What you've been reading, watching, doing that you wished you could have talked about and haven't had time? Um, I, oh, I don't know. I've, I've fallen into an anime hole. You have. You subscribed to Funimation and I you're have. down in My Hero Academia hole. I've managed to rewatch all of Demon Slayer. Yep. Um, anime, anime, anime with you. Anime, 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 yeah. Which I think is probably ticking a box that's been missing for you for a long time because you've always been like, well, I should probably watch some. And then not, and now you've gone down start. that hole. Yeah, you never know where to start, do you? <laughs> well, maybe we'll get you to talk about some of that when we come back. So until next time, stay safe, stay well, get in touch, let us know what you've been watching, listening, reading, doing, seeing, saying, singing, writing. Too much. Other adjectives. But yeah, bye! bye.